governments need to say, look, we need to have a generous and flexible parental leave scheme. And then that needs to filter down to the employers. If you want to have a healthy workplace and a healthy society, you've got to have that sort of decent work-life balance or work-family life balance. And as we saw, parental leave protective effects may last into middle age. We saw evidence of that among women. So a healthy working culture equipped with adequate parental leave is essential for both the short and long term. And it just adds to a healthy, productive and sustainable society. You're listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for all things public health and global health. From the sustainable development goals to the social determinants of health, as well as interesting dialogues about the diverse career opportunities that exist in these fields. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so other people like you can benefit from our content. My name is Gordon, your host for this episode, along with my co-host Perva, and we have a very exciting episode talking about how some type of policies can have significant benefits for mental health and society in general. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not necessarily represent any of the agencies or organizations we work for or are affiliated with. Perfect. what are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to be having an amazing guest. They did a first-of-its-kind systematic review, exploring the evidence that exists for the connection between parental leave and mental health among parents. Very cool. What are you most excited about hearing today, Gordon? One of the things that always comes up in conversations around policy, and specifically parental leave, is that, yeah, it's a good thing. It works. Mm Mm-hmm. But we probably weren't as sure about the state of evidence because we know in public health or in research in general, systematic reviews are the gold standard for evidence. So to see an actual systematic review that underscores that there is a significant benefit for parental leave on mental health, not just for mothers, but also for fathers as well. I'm looking forward to hearing our guests unpack that. It's going to be an incredibly insightful conversation. Why don't we go ahead and introduce our guest, Gordon? Amy Hishmati is a doctoral student at the Department of Public Health Sciences at Stockholm University as part of a collaborative research unit between Karolinska Institute and the Center for Health Equity Studies. Her thesis is a health equity evaluation of the Swedish parental leave policy with a focus on the work requirement for earning related parental leave benefits. Recently, Amy, along with two of her colleagues from the Department of Public Health Sciences, published a systematic review in the Lancet Public Health on the effect of parental leave on parents' mental health, which will be the main focus of our conversation. Amy, welcome to the Public Health Insight Podcast. Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. We identified you as a potential guest based on the new systematic review that was published, and we're excited to get into that. But before we do, we just want to learn a little bit more about you. So let's start by visualizing your career as a Google map. Okay, You have your, you okay, have your Google okay. map ready? You have your, I've got you my have Google, Google map ready. ready. So how did we get from 
completing your bachelor's of pharmacy degree. That's correct. To being a doctoral student focusing on public health research. It was a journey filled with twists, turns, traffic lights, detours. Uh, Tell us uh, about it. It certainly was. So I did a bachelor's, Bachelor of Pharmacy at the University of Otago in New Zealand. And I worked in a tertiary hospital in New Zealand for a couple of years, did my pre-registration year there. And then I thought, oh gosh, I want to do some traveling. So I did like what lots of New Zealanders do. I packed up and I moved to the UK for just under a year. Not at this stage, but I had right of abode. So I knew that I could live in the UK sort of for a long period. I'm actually now a British citizen through my mother. And I thought I'll work there. And then I left my boyfriend at the time, now my husband. And he's sort of like, I'll come back, come back to New Zealand. And I've got a project. We're going to move to Madrid. And I returned to New Zealand and I thought it was only going to be sort of six months to a year, but I returned to New Zealand and I, I again, I worked at the hospital that I did my pre-registration at and worked as a clinical pharmacist. And I was the drug use and evaluation pharmacist for antibiotics. And so after a couple of years, the time was right and we moved to Madrid and I tried and attempted to learn Spanish and he's an engineer and the project was a New Zealand company doing this biogas upgrading system and anyway they had their European office in Stockholm so they said at the end of this project why don't you move to Sweden for one or two years now this has been over 10 years later and I thought gosh what am I going to do during this time and I don't speak Swedish, so I thought, I'll look at the master's programs. And I went and looked at, I went to, I saw this pro- program at Stockholm University at what was the Centre for Health Equity Studies. And I took a couple of sort of single subject courses, and one of the courses was social stratification and health. And I'm like, I don't have no idea what social stratification was. But I took the course and I was like, this is really fascinating. And so then I embarked on my journey in public health. So I worked at the Centre for Health Equity Studies for many years. That transformed from a research unit into a department of public health sciences. And then when I was on parental leave, they put up a position that was a collaboration between um, the Centre for Health Equity Studies and Karolinska Institute. And I was fortunate enough to get that position and hence why I am now doing a PhD in public health. Wow. What is that like, the transition? What a <laughs> the transition from sort of that clinical side of things to population health mm. practice. What was that transition Ex- like for you? I found it very interesting. I've always been um, very interested in looking at sort of more of an overall point of view rather than sort of with clinical, you you know, it's very patient specific. Mm. One of my roles when I was a pharmacist was also looking at sort of medicines information. So you're looking at things more of a sort of an overall perspective, you're getting information and applying it to a particular patient, but it's it's more still more of an overall perspective. And I think that's always appealed to me. And even when I was doing pharmacy, I was still thinking, oh, I, 
I'd quite like to do population health, as I think is what they called it at the University of Auckland. And I thought, oh gosh, it would be interesting, but I didn't didn't pursue it. I did sort of some postgraduate work in pharmacy. But so I had my opportunity when I moved to Stockholm and I feel very lucky that I got that opportunity. And it's, it's been very interesting, 10 or more years working in public health. That's amazing. You've obviously recently published a systematic review looking at the association between parental leave and mental health and you have experience with it too as you yeah. said you went on parental leave but how did you get interested from pharmacy to population health to specifically about parental leave and like studying this topic I think I, I just really appealed to me so what I was doing before I was looking at early life characteristics and cardiovascular disease and then when I was on parental leave I was like oh I wouldn't mind doing something a bit different and then I saw this topic and I thought gosh this is really fascinating I think it's something that many people go through and I was going through that myself at the time and I thought that just this would be just very interesting and we were looking at it from a sort of health equity perspective and because I had been working at the Centre for Health Equity Studies it was sort of felt like a natural transition even though the topic was so different and as I said I like that sort of brought more overall perspective and I think yeah just parental leave and mental health seems to spark interest in most people. Mm-hmm. Because we, as I said, most people undergo this during their lifetime, not necessarily mental health. I mean, mental health can be positive mental health or, you know, sometimes there could be challenges. So it's, you know, I think it's something that affects many. One of the things that we want to do before we speak specifically about the parental leave side of it itself is to talk about the state of mental health as it relates to parents. So what does mental health look like for mothers and fathers and parents in general the transition to parenthood Mm. is like a very sort of stressful period as it represents sort of major life changes that occur within a short time frame mothers undergo biological changes and carry a physical burden while there's pressures that affect both parents to varying extents You know, there's challenges related to child rearing, relationships, career uncertainties, as well as financial pressures due to time of work and reduced income. So I think all of those can influence mental health. And when I was doing the review, I found reference that sort of globally, the prevalence of common mental disorders during the postpartum period ranges from about 10 to 20% among mothers and about up to 10% among fathers. I've seen studies that also a lot of um, postpartum mental health may actually occur prior to conception. Our aim for the systematic review was to examine the evidence to see if parental leave may help alleviate mental health symptoms among parents following childbirth. And does every country have parental leave policies? I think the US is the only high income Mm. country that doesn't have a paid parental leave scheme at the national level. So you might have some states that have a paid parental leave, but not the whole no, country right. as a whole. I'm led to believe that there might be a handful of other countries, but I haven't gone into that. Some people say there's only two, but I think they're looking at paid parental mm-hmm, leave. Right. And specifically on the topic of Sweden, it seems yes. like Sweden is the world leader when it comes to parental 
leave policies. What specifically mm-hmm. would you say makes it unique? Some of the Nordic countries are also very good, I think, but I'm more familiar with the Swedish parental leave scheme. And I think it's just, it's very generous. It's the flexibility. And you've got 480 paid parental leaves that you can use up until the child is 12 years of age. Up to 12. So, yes. So it's for children born from 2014 onwards. Now, you're only allowed to have sort of 96 of those days to bank from the child's fourth birthday. Mm. But the fact is you've still got a lot of parental leave days. And I think you can, with that, you've also got um, um, 18 months of uh, job protective leave of absence as well. So, I mean, it's very, very generous. How you structure your own parental Mm. leave is very individual. You can do how you like. So you could take unpaid leave to begin with, and then you can take paid days, but you can structure it however each family likes. There's also 90 days that are reserved for each parent, and this is often called the sort of father's quota. And even though it's gender neutral in its application but because mothers more likely to take parental leave and this is to encourage fathers to take parental leave so if they don't use those 90 days the family gets 90 days less so say for our family my husband might take longer summer vacations which is quite nice and so for the school holidays he can take a longer summer holiday Aside from the economic aspects of parental leave where you have full pay or a certain amount of pay and then the vacation dates, are there certain supportive aspects offered by workplaces in terms of like mental health support for postpartum at all for parents? This is just something I'm curious about now. I think you can get uh, referred to if you need to, like a psychologist actually, anytime. During parental leave, child can't go to preschool until they turn 12 months of age so a lot of children don't start preschool actually until maybe the August of the year that they turn one because that's when there's more places sort of free up and that's also highly highly subsidized you can't start preschool until you're 12 months of age so therefore a family member will be home for at least one year Mm. and in terms of postpartum mental health you will get a checkup with the child's nurse at sort of the 12 week checkup and then you will potentially get referred depending on the results of that test because you're at home for at least 12 months before a child can go to preschool then you can probably get access to mental Mm. health services during that time because you're going to go at what we call the BVC so the child's health clinic very regularly so depending on your child it could begin with once a week or every fortnight maybe once a month thereafter and so you have those regular checks if you do need to have that. Mm. I've heard so much about the Swedish parental leave being so amazing so it's Amazing to hear your firsthand experience with it too. So let's get into that rapid fire segment. We call it the inside blitz. So I'll be asking you some questions and reading you some statements and you can just provide very brief responses. So let's begin. First question, what is your favorite thing to do in your spare time? I like to now relax and because I've got two children and watch, oh God, watch television. 
I just, just any yeah. sort of like, I'm now into, I'm very late adopter, but I'm now into Downton Abbey mm. because I've had no time. <laughs> It's a long show, too. It'll definitely take up some of your yeah. time going forward. <laughs> okay, so you grew up in New Zealand, yes. completed some of your education there. What was your favorite part about living and studying in New Zealand? Oh, favorite part. Oh, gosh, I had such a blast when I went to university. So I went to University of Otago's, and it's a student town. And I lived in the Hall of Residence, Carrington College, as it's now called. And I just it was just such a great community. It was a long time ago now, but we just had a lot of fun. There was a lot of parties, a lot of socializing, a lot of good friends made. And, yeah, I just have such fond memories of my time in Dunedin. And I would highly recommend studying there. It's just... There's always something going on because it's this university town. So it's so geared up to life there. Great place. Love that. What is your favorite way to stay up to date with global health news? I read sort of various news sources, watch a lot of actually was saying what we do in the spare time. I do watch a lot of a bit of a news junkie. So there's a lot of BBC, CNN, Sky News. And yeah, so I just keep up to date with news there. Also, obviously online, whatever source that comes up through social media as well. I subscribe to different news sources through sort of Facebook and sort of interesting articles come up. But I've always usually got a newspaper, news page online up on my tabs. What core skills are needed to be an effective public health researcher, in your opinion? Ooh, core skills. I guess a genuine interest in the topic. I mean, as you know, that my background is totally different to what I'm doing, but I was just really interested in it. So I think if you're just interested in a topic, that's, I think that's the most important thing because from there it builds on and you want to delve into things deeper and it, it keeps your motivation up and yeah I think just a genuine interest and a need for wanting to know new knowledge and just to sort of find out if things have happened before or if they have how have people applied how they've done the study. And what is the biggest lesson that you've learned in your career so far? Ooh biggest lesson don't give up <laughs> I think there's sometimes with sort of research there's the very you know you get these highs and then you also mm. can get these sort of lows and, and think oh gosh I'm not getting the results I'm that I would like or things are taking much longer but you've got to have that sort of drive to sort of not give up and just to I think that's why it's so important to have an, a topic that interests you because it keeps you going yeah I think that's Amazing. And that's the end of our Insight Blitz. You can relax a bit. We won't be speeding you through questions, but we will dig deeper into the findings of your systematic review, parental leave on parents' mental health. So let's let's dig a bit deeper and I'll let you walk us through how you conducted the systematic review, what specifically you looked at, and then we can dig a little bit deeper into the findings. As I mentioned before, we know that the transition to parenthood is stressful. And so we wanted to look at um, whether parental leave may help alleviate mental health symptoms among parents following childbirth. And now we kept our sort of like eligibility 
criteria quite broad. So we wanted to, so we just, we used sort of five online databases to conduct our search. And we wanted to look at sort of parental leave in general. So that could have been time off work after giving birth or parental leave duration, parental leave benefits, and then mental health after childbirth. And we didn't have sort of any restriction, you know, if it was a set time after childbirth or far in the future. So we identified about 7,000 records. And then after sort of removing duplicates and excluding over 3,000 articles due to title and abstract screening, we assessed 144 full-text articles for eligibility and 45 studies met our inclusion criteria and uh, were included in our systematic review. All those studies were conducted in high-income countries. Actually, 60% were performed, interestingly, in the US. And I think that's quite interesting because, as it said earlier, there right. isn't a sort of national parental leave policy. And I think it was, you know, that a lot of the, those studies was looking at states that had introduced paid parental right. leave, like California or New Jersey. And then these studies were a sort of a mix between either observational studies or quasi-experimental studies. And so the observational studies would look at sort of maybe parental leave duration or the parental leave benefits and mental health, whereas the quasi-experimental studies was, was looking at more the introduction or expansion of sort of paid parental leave and looking at mental health before or after these policy changes. That's a lot of articles that you had to screen. And it's interesting that the U.S., which doesn't have a national scheme, the research tended to skew in that direction, particularly because of the states that did have state-based governmental schemes. What were some of the most surprising things that you found from this systematic review? I think what was quite interesting is that we found evidence that there was a protective effect of paid parental leave in middle age among women. A couple of mm. studies looked at that and I thought that was very fascinating, sort of, you know, the beneficial effects um, from parental leave years prior seemed to be beneficial for mental health in middle age. And I mean, of course, more research needs to be done on that, but I think that was a very, very interesting finding. Got it. And that that's astonishing I thought that was right because it's I think that's really interesting long -term yeah effects, I mean right? yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and I think we didn't see that amongst fathers but we didn't have the studies to show mm. you know I can't say any conclusion I should say for fathers because we didn't have the studies to sort of show that but I think it'd be really fascinating to see more on that to see the long-term health benefits of parental leave and you mentioned there's different types of leaves in that a leave can be one where an entire salary is covered or a portion of a salary. A leave can be one where it's a shorter term leave or a longer term leave. So was there one that in particular stood out as the best way to go versus others? Yeah, unfortunately, we couldn't sort of ascertain mm -hmm. that. We were sort of just looking at really the direction of effect. We couldn't come up with like what was the biggest contributor. Better as such. And saying that more generous leave is generally better for mental health. So, you know, when they had their comparisons, people who took longer length of parental leave had, had 
better mental health than people who took shorter and when they were comparing those two groups. We saw that generally across the abroad, particularly for among women. And then among fathers, findings were less conclusive, but there hasn't been as many studies conducted among fathers. But yet research does suggest that fathers have better mental health with parental leave schemes that offer adequate wage replacement or incentives such as uptake quotas to try and get them to take parental leave. And uptake quotas is what I was mentioning earlier with Sweden's sort of father's quota where you have a certain number of days that a particular parent would take with a use it or lose it sort of situation. Mm, And that serves as an incentive to actually use it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And going back to Sweden specifically, the parental leave policies... Is it something that's mandatory across all workplaces, no matter what size and how many people are employed? Yes, yes, absolutely. So actually, everyone is eligible for parental leave in Sweden. But what you receive is based on your position in the labour market or your labour market attachment. Mm. To be able to be eligible for earnings-related benefits, you have to have been in employment for 240 consecutive days prior to the estimated delivery date. So that's roughly about eight months prior. And then your earnings related benefits, the family would get for 390 days of the 480. You receive roughly 80% of your salary, but that is capped so it is important, it is, I mean, so there is a discrepancy right, right. if you've been in the labor market or if you have not. Right. Now, one of the things <clears throat> I've been interested with all this, you did mention that through this research, you're seeing benefits that last beyond the immediate period after mm-hmm. a child is born. I think we have more conclusive information from mothers not so much fathers there's a lot of environmental factors of why Mm -hmm. someone might experience mental health symptoms Mm -hmm. mental illness or poor mental health and Mm -hmm. as you said parenting a child can be a huge source of stress and parental leaves serve as a tool that we can apply in society to alleviate those burdens what are some challenges though that prevent access and uptake to these parental leave among parents. You mentioned that there is quotas that are put in place to incentivize uptake. But at the general level, what are some of the reasons why this might not be rolled out in the way that it was intended? One thing that is important that, you know, countries might have parental leave schemes and that they offer sort of job protective leave of absence. But then a small proportion of that might be paid leave. And so I think it's Mm. really important that schemes offer adequate wage replacement and it needs to be for a longer period of time at some countries they might offer 12 months of say job protective leave of absence but a very very short amount of time for actually paid leave so that might encourage if people can't afford to stay off even if they're legally allowed entitled to remain off work for that year if they can't afford to do so then they might return to the labor market earlier And what type of actions like the government or organizations can take, even the local workplaces that they work at, in order to 
improve the parental policies that exist, maybe alleviating some of these barriers that exist? One thing, say, within Sweden, you know, parental leave is sort of part of the culture. Mm. So people can take parental leave. There's no sort of barrier because it's part of society. Once you have a child, if a a father wants to take parental leave, no one's going to say, gosh, they've now taken parental leave. They're legally allowed to take it and people use it. And as we can see, it's beneficial for your mental health. So you, you should take it if you are entitled to. So I think there's the culture of and trying to shift that culture in different societies. And so I think that needs to start from the top governments need to say, look, we need to have a generous and flexible parental leave scheme. And then that needs to filter down to the employers. If you want to have a healthy workplace and a healthy society, you've got to have that sort of decent work-life balance or work-family life balance. And as we saw, parental leave protective effects may last into middle age. We saw evidence of that among women. So a healthy working culture equipped with adequate parental leave is essential for both the short and long term and it just adds to a healthy productive and sustainable society what would you say for countries or regions who perhaps have the means to implement something like this who are more hesitant or resistant based on the notion of paid time off leading to reducing productivity in the workforce not really seeing the dollar value of improvements in mental health How do we make that argument for countries that are a little bit slower to adopt? Yeah. Personally, I think it's a Mm no-brainer. But we've shown that parental leave has a beneficial effect on mental health, that both in the postpartum period and with evidence in later life as well. And as I said just before, a healthy working culture equipped with adequate parental leave is essential for both the short and uh, long term and workplace productivity depends on people's health so for a productive society we need to ensure that employees have that adequate work-life balance and i believe i read somewhere that for jurisdictions with parental leave policies that there was some connection to a lowering of hospitalizations and ED visits related to mental health as well. So maybe that's a business case that we could use to supplement this as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. This was a fantastic Mm -hmm. conversation, Amy. Really learned a lot. And I think a lot more people will be interested in hearing from you regarding your systematic review. And I'm sure there's a lot to come still. What are some of your key take-home messages for our audience as it relates to your work and what we discussed in this episode? Okay, I think the key, if you have the opportunity to take parental leave, definitely do so. It is very good, beneficial for your mental health. Countries are improving with their parental leave schemes and I hope that more and more people will be able to have access to generous parental leave policies now and in the future. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you in the next one.